Aren't you glad that God loves you? He formed you. He loves you. He's forming you more and more into his image uh, so that when you get to heaven, you're not so shocked uh, about what it means to be like Jesus. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at uh, what we owe the next pastor out of Titus chapter 2. And in these next three Sunday nights, I want to speak to some ways that I think we need to think as a church family moving forward. Uh, the baton is going to be passed and we're going to step aside and God's going to bring his man here and, and his family. And so I want us to make sure we are ready in the way we think because God doesn't bless stinking thinking. And uh, stinking thinking happens when we try to tell God what his plan ought to be. And so I want us to talk tonight about what uh, we owe the next pastor of the church, what I owe the next pastor of the church, but what we as a church owe the next pastor. And then we're going to look one week at the kind of praying that we need to be doing. And then one week we'll look at uh, where is our source and our sufficiency in all of this and in this time. Uh, for me personally, for you personally, for this church collectively. And I'm looking forward to these next three weeks. I'm actually looking forward as much as anything to the fact that we get to start having Sunday night church again. And uh, house of prayer on Sunday nights at 5.30 and then uh, have church right after that. And I'm looking forward to it. And since it's my last three, plan for three lock-ins. Uh, <laughs> There could be a lot I need to say. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'll, I, won't, I won't keep you past 12. Um, so I want to ask you to, to have your Bibles in, in two familiar places, Jeremiah chapter 18 and Romans chapter 12 this morning as we do three more messages in the Christ-centered life. And I want to ask a simple question. How available are you? How available are you? I remember Dr. Havner saying that oftentimes he would grow weary of believers coming up to him when he was out preaching around the country and, and saying, I, I just want God to use me. And, and Havner would say, God's using you as much as he can. He's using you to the level that he can use you right now. Your prayer needs to be, God, make me usable. And so one of the things we need to look at, if God's going to make us usable, is how available are we? Are we giving God everything he needs in us to work with? Or is there some area where we are resistant to him and keeping him from working in us and through us in a way that brings glory to his name. There's, there's always that little something that we have to deal with. None of us ever get through life with something that doesn't rise up within us that keeps God from using us to the fullness. And how do we, how do we deal with that? How does God deal with that? So in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, a familiar story in Jeremiah the prophet's writings the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And then Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Romans 12 and verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that, 
you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a great deal of similarity between the potter's wheel and the altar. Both demand of us a surrender to the hand of God working in our lives. Whether we find ourselves on the potter's wheel or whether we are commanded by God to commit ourselves to God and to lay our lives on the altar, they both require yielding. They both require surrender. So the first thing I want us to look at is that the Christ-centered life changes us from useless clay to vessels that can be used. From useless clay to vessels that can be used. Now, one of the shortcuts that we uh, take when we want to avoid all the uh, tourist traffic in Gatlinburg is sometimes we go one of the back ways partially through the arts and crafts community and come out on the backside and take another back road and come in through Sevierville and, and come into town that way and we miss a lot of the traffic. Or, or as the guy who sold us our first cabin there said, we can't tell tourists what these roads are. You have to own something here before we'll tell you. So we can use those roads. Well, we've learned to use those roads and they're beautiful back roads. They, they go down by rivers and streams and down through the mountains and the valleys. But one of them goes through a particular part of the arts and crafts community where there are a lot of people who do pottery. And if you've ever been in one of those shops and watched a potter at work, not just you see the pottery on the shelf, but you've watched a potter at work, he is very meticulous in what he's doing. He's spinning a wheel, he's got his foot on a pedal controlling the force and the speed of what he's doing. He's blending materials in, he's shaping the colors, and he's got in mind something. He blobs that clay on there, but he's gonna make a cup, he's gonna make a bowl, he's going to make a glass, he's going to make some utensil that is useful for somebody. And, and he has great joy in it, but sometimes he comes across something in that clay that is resistance, that keeps that clay from working with him like it needs to. And, and when you go there and look at that, you realize when you see the finished product, somebody had something in mind when he started out on that. That finished product didn't just get there. There was a process in the making of the pottery by the potter that he had an intent in mind. And for God, it is that God did not make us and form us and is not working in us to make us a decorative item to put on the shelf that will one day be sold in a garage sale. God made us to be a usable vessel that as long as he gives us life, as long as he gives us breath, that we are to be usable clay in the hand of the potter. Now here's the setting. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He sees what's happening in his nation. He sees how they're walking away from the covenant of what God has designed and planned for the nation of Israel. He, he's broken hearted by all of this. And so God sends him to the potter's house. And this broken heartedness is over the spiritual condition of the nation. They have become marred. They have become flawed. They no longer follow the ways of God and the word of God. They have drifted from the covenant of God. They have denied the Ten Commandments. They've taken in false gods. They've worshiped false idols. They've, they've not been consistent in their walk with God. They're headed toward destruction. But when he gets to the potter's house, it is a message of hope that God, even with people who don't get it or don't stay with it, God still has a purpose that he is working out in those lives. 
They may resist it, but God is working in that vessel to form his image in that vessel, in that person. This is a familiar Old Testament parable. It has application to the nation of Israel. It also has application to the individuals. It has application to us. J. Oswald Sanders said, He sees the potter with his mastermind, well-versed in his art, surrounded by vessels of beauty and utility, the work of his own hand. Next, his eye lights on the wheel, a revolving spindle moving faster, slower, according to the pressure of his foot on the pedal. Then in the potter's hand, he sees the clay, a thing of no inherent beauty, helpless to improve its condition, but capable of receiving and retaining the design wrought by the potter. So that reminds us of verse 3. There he was making something on the wheel. Now, when a potter works, he works inside and outside. He doesn't just work on the outside. He shapes it on the inside. He, he shapes it on the outside. He has a design in mind. Isaiah 64 and verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. All of us are the work of your hand. So the work of the wheel... And the work of the potter's hand gives us a revelation of two things. God's sovereignty and how God sovereignly works in the circumstances of our lives. When we push back, when we turn aside, when we allow something to get into our lives, God does not go, that's it. I'm done with you. I'm through with you. If he did that, he'd be through with all of us. Amen? I mean, he is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the 50th chance. He is a patient God. He is a loving God. He has something in mind. His plan is worked out in us and through us. He's not passive. He is not, as some people think, some distant deity that created this world and then moved off and checked out and is not involved. He hears our prayers. He knows when the sparrow falls to the ground. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He is intimately acquainted with us, and in all of that, he is working. He uses our times of obedience. He works out and in us in those times of disobedience. He works in our times of joy, in sorrow and happiness, in, in the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knocks off the rough edges so that he can conform us into his image. And I must say, sometimes it's a painful process. But it is worthwhile. Because when you can look at your life and see less of your old self, the marring, the fragments of old thinking removed, and see more of him as he continues to put his foot on the pedal and his hands on your life, and he works and works and works. If he didn't value you, he wouldn't waste his time. He values you. This world does not value you. This world uses you. God values you. And some of you are here today and some of you are watching online and you think, I have no value. Coming out of COVID, we're, we've got all this mindset and people are depressed and discouraged and suicides are up. Can I tell you something? I don't care what circumstances are going on. God values you. He valued you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he is not indifferent to the pain and the frustration and the fears of your life. 
that are going on right now. In fact, he is most intimately acquainted with you. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knows what's going on in your life. He's not surprised. He is working in the circumstances of your life to produce a vessel fit for his use. That's why in Romans 8 it says, All things work together for our good, to those who love the Lord and to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, I, I think if we got a vote, we would ask God to change our circumstances. Lord, Lord, just change my circumstances and I'll do whatever you want me to do. What God really wants to do is he wants us to change our attitude about our circumstances. He wants us to say, Lord, what do you want me to learn in these circumstances? And some people run from their circumstances. Uh, you know, I, I, I know pastors that, you know, they move every two years. Every three years, they're just moving. I don't know if that means they only got two or three years worth of sermons and then they got to go start over again. Or the first time somebody disagrees with them, they feel like God's leading them to leave. And uh, I met a guy one time, he said, man, I've, he, he said, I've been in ministry 30 years. I said, really? I said, what's the longest pastors, pastor you ever had? He said, two years. I said, no, you've been in ministry two years. You've just repeated it 15 times. Because you see, some of us run from battles. Some preachers run from battles. We run from battles. We run from crisis. We run from adversity. We run from disagreements. We run from marriages. We run from our families. We run from the consequences of our decisions. And all the while, God is saying, get on the wheel. Let me work. I can redeem this. I can do something with this. We are clay and God has a plan. But it is within our old fallen nature to resist. I would be the first one to say, man, when God starts working in me and he finds some area in me that is just not right, I'm the first one to resist. I mean, it's like when I go to get a massage, but I have to get a massage before I have an adjustment because my back is so stiff. I get what, look, what feels like marbles in my back and up in my neck. And when that therapist hits that knot, I can just about come off that table. It increases my prayer life. <laughs> but when, when that therapist finds it, and hits it and works it in the right way and I can feel it releasing, it also increases my praise life. So when I go to the chiropractor, he says, well, your massage therapist did a good job today. We're getting some really good movement out of your back. You see, but my tendency is I want to resist. What I, what I want is I want a massage therapist that just puts those little hot stones on your back and just says, now just sit here and relax. I can't relax. My back is tightened up. Well, it's going to take me working on it to get it worked out. Well, then do it because it's worth it to deal with it. We resist. We tend to resist. Look, look at Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 11. It's what Israel was doing. So now then speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem uh, saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. But they will say it's hopeless for we are going to follow our own plans and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Huh. It, isn't that the problem today? Amen. I mean, just name the topic. Just name the situation. Just name whatever cycle it is in the news cycle. Isn't that the problem in our world today? Stubbornness. This, this word about stubbornness of an evil heart is in the context of God as a potter trying to remake 
a piece of clay, a nation, into his image. He also tries to do that with churches. But a nation is just a group of people, and a church is just a group of people. And a group of people are just individuals who are gathered together. And so when, he, when we see this stubbornness, here's what we have to think. We can come out of this pandemic, we can come out of this election, we can come out of circumstances and we can shake our fist at God and we can tell God that he has mismanaged our lives, this country and everything that's going on. Or we can get on the potter's wheel and we can say, Lord, my life's in your hands. This nation's in your hands. This church is in your hands. This community is in your hands. We're going to trust you. Now, a, a, a quick side illustration. I was privileged to be friends with Adrian Rogers for a, a number of years and had some sweet times of fellowship with him. Uh, Adrian retired, he got cancer, and uh, he died a, a few months later. And uh, Warren Wiersbe knew Adrian, and so I called Warren and I said, uh, Warren, I thought you ought to know that, that Adrian died. And he said, oh, that's bad. He said, that's really sad, that's really bad. Hallelujah for Adrian. But it's bad for the new pastor. And I said, why? He said, because I'm going to tell you how the devil's going to work. He said, you mark it down, Michael, and you watch it. He said, grief will turn to anger. And that church will get mad at the new pastor for their old pastor dying. And they will take it out on him. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. People got angry. In fact, people said, if you hadn't come here, Adrian wouldn't have died. Can I tell you something? Everybody in this room is going to die. And I don't want to die meeting Jesus with a chip on my shoulder or a bad attitude. I want to die ready to meet him. Whenever that is. I hope it's a long time down the road. But whenever it is... I owe it to my Lord to stay on the wheel and let him work out the areas of resistance because I can either resist and say, God, I don't want you working on that area of my life, or I can yield. The power of God comes through yielding and surrender. Listen, left to itself, clay is nothing but clay. It just remains clay. But in the hands of the potter, it has value. And it's not just surrender, it's cooperation. It's not being on the potter's wheel and saying, well, I'm here, but I tell you what, I don't like it one bit. No, it is cooperating with what God is doing in your life. It is allowing God to work in your life and in my life in the way that he wants to, in such a way that he molds us and makes us into his image. We are spoiled vessels. All of us. And he prunes us, he convicts us, he works, he orchestrates to make us into his image. Now that word spoiled means there's something in the clay that is resisting. There's a rock. There, there's something, there's some element of something that cannot be smoothed out as intended. There's some foreign object in there, some attitude, some action, some hurt, some offense that we can't get over. There's something that is resistant. You, have you ever met anybody with a chip on their shoulder? Remember that commercial, Robert Conrad, he put that battery on his shoulder, and he, some of you not old enough to remember that, but, you know, he'd dare you to knock it off. I mean, there are just some people that walk through life with a chip on their shoulder. And there are some people that walk through life and all they want to tell you is how somebody hurt them. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to write on their tomb, tombstone, somebody done somebody wrong song. I mean, they're just, 
They, they're just mad at God, mad at everybody. They're even mad at the people at Chick-fil-A. I mean, they're mad at everybody. You get mad at the people at Chick-fil-A, you really are a sinner <laughs> in need of a Savior. I mean, they get mad at everybody. I mean, it doesn't matter whether they know them or don't know them. They just get mad. They get mad at people pretending to be somebody in a TV show. They just, they just are mad. They've just got this, or, or you meet these people. I'm against everything. Well, what are you for? I'm not for anything. I'm for me. But I'm against everything. Well, what about this? I'm against them. Or you meet people like this. Can't stand my family. Well, what, you know, what, what about your mother? Don't like her? What about your dad? Don't like him? What about your brother? Well, he's adopted. He's different, so. We can resist or we can yield. Secondly, the Christ life demands a recognition of where we are willfully resistant. So, in light of what I've just said, let me give you two or three quick things. Some obvious signs that keep the potter from making us into his image. Number one, Holding on to secret sin. Holding on to secret sin. Nobody else may know about it, but you know it. And it's, it's resistant to God. It's hidden maybe from others. But it's an area of resistance to God. Secondly, a resistance to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. That could be an unwillingness to offer forgiveness, to make restitution, uh, uh, abandoning a habit, robbing God. It just that God convicts and we say, nope, not going to change. Number three, resistance to the will of God. It, we sing wherever he leads, I'll go. But then we want to add a verse that says, if he clears it through me first. But wherever he leads, I go means wherever he leads, I'll go. A resistance to the will of God. A, a refusal to stay centered. A refusal to stay centered. And, and what I mean by that is getting absorbed in secondary things. Non-essentials. Making the things that are not priorities into priorities. Making the things that are not a big deal into big deals. And we all do that. We all do that. All of us do that. Turn to the person next to you and say, you do that. See, I told you. It's just our nature to make secondary things the major things. The non-primary things that won't matter one second after we breathe our last. And we just get eaten up with them, and we focus on them. I, I mean, I've done it. I've done it at sporting events. I go nuts when somebody misses a tackle or, you know, or strikes out or, you know, or we lose a ball game. And, and six weeks later, I can't tell you what the score was. You know, you, you got parents in the stands with kids. And the, their kids, let me tell you how a kid develops his prayer life. A kid develops his prayer life, God, please tell my parents to shut up in the stands right now and to stop yelling at me. Tell them to stop yelling. They're embarrassing me. Say, I'm just supporting you, honey. No, you're not. You're drawing attention to yourself. Hey, I've been there and done that. I, I bought the T-shirt. I know what that's like. Yell at the refs, and then they joined your church. <laughs> oh, so many things, folks, that are just not important, that we've made so important. And we channel surf looking for somebody to agree with us. And this world is not destined for redemption. This world is destined for destruction. There will be a new heaven 
and a new earth. God is redeeming people for a new heaven and a new earth. God is not redeeming governments. God is redeeming people. And our job is to be usable in the hands of God so that he might redeem more people before his return. Now here's, here's where it gets weird. When we see somebody that is just Christ-centered and full of Jesus, now just, just stay with me, we think they're weird. You see, we're so subnormal and so abnormal when we meet somebody who is living the normal Christian life, we think something's wrong with them. In fact, a person who is living the Christ-centered life basically has to backslide to have fellowship with the average church member. Because when you're walking full of Jesus and you're around people that think, they're weird, man, I'm telling you what, they just stop and say, let's just pray right now. And they go, oh, Lord, now? We're going to pray now? I mean, do I have to close my eyes? Can I just kind of look around while they're praying? Hey, let's go knock on this door and witness this person. Really? Like now? Uh, hey, there's no cars at the one next door. Let's go knock on that door. Maybe nobody's home. And what we do is we're attracted to those people from a distance. But when you get close to them, you find that they are people that have stayed on the potter's wheel. It has not been easy. It has not been comfortable. But they've stayed there. And our goal should be, Lord, we, we want to appear weird to the world, but not weird to you. And so let's get to the third thing. The Christ-centered life is one of endless possibilities. By the way, you know what the world does with you, don't you? The minute it's through with you, it throws you away. The minute it's used you up, it throws you away. When you lose your beauty or your mind or your strength or your skills, the world will just throw you aside. And in the whole process, before it gets there, the world, your flesh, and the devil are always working to destroy your potential and then accuse you of not being worth doing anything with. But Christ has a redemptive plan. And I'm here to tell you he's the God of the second chance. Amen. Jeremiah 18.4, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Though the vessel was marred, the potter still found potential and possibilities. You cannot read the Bible without discovering that God uses flawed, spoiled, marred, people that he didn't give up on. You can't read your Bible without that. Abraham from Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, the people of Israel, Joshua, and just go through the book. Every one of them did something at some point that you say, well, you know, see, that's why you know the, the Bible is the word of God. He doesn't hide from the next generation the flaws of those who came before us. The Hall of Fame of Faith is not made up of sinless people in Hebrews 11. It's made up of flawed flesh like you and I. One difference, they got on the wheel and they stayed there. And when they got off the wheel, they repented and they got back on it and let God use them. Simon Peter, I mean, I would have never after Simon Peter denied Jesus, I want to tell you, we'd have had a vote among the disciples. And the last thing we would have done, as we sat and prayed and waited for the coming of the Spirit, the last thing we would have done is said, now, when the Spirit comes, let's just pray it's Peter that gets the message. And when the Spirit fell and Peter started talking, most of the disciples, if they'd been Baptists, they'd have gone, time out. 
you're the guy that denied Jesus. I think I'm the one supposed to speak here. But you see, God used Peter, and 3,000 people were saved in 10 minutes. Don't underestimate what God's trying to do in your life, and don't undersell what he's trying to do in somebody else's life. Be as patient with them as you want God to be patient with you. So it was another vessel. Maybe we are scarred by the past. Maybe not what God originally intended, but it pleased him to work. We don't have to stay defeated. As it pleased the potter to make. Not as it pleased the clay, but as it pleased the potter. God's design and plan is not a one-size-fits-all. That would be boring. God is to make you as he designed you into his image through your personality and through your gifts and talents. Romans 8, 29, to be conformed in the image of his son. God was so pleased with his son that he longs for each of us to be like him. He is working on us and in us for that purpose. So what should we do? You got to listen quick. Romans chapter 12, it's all right there. First of all, you need to remember, you need to remember the mercies of God. Secondly, you need to lay it all on the altar. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Thirdly, you need to worship. Your spiritual service of worship. Fourthly, you don't need to cave in. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says. Jeremiah 18.6, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Five, you need to transform your mind. And six, you need to live in a way that is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray together. Being available to God means surrender. And when we surrender, it's a word that applies to salvation. It applies to sanctification. It applies to service. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day that you can do that. In a moment, we'll have staff members here at the end of the aisle and They'll be ready to receive you. Everybody Jesus called, he called publicly. You say, well, you don't know how bad I am. You don't know how much I've done. You, you don't know how much I've messed up. You're just the kind of person God's looking for. Somebody that thinks they're not worthy. You, you aren't, I'm not. But God can save you today. Just let him save you. Let him change your heart. Let him get that resistance out of you and surrender to him. Some of you kind of, you've hit your lid spiritually. You're, you're not growing like you need to grow, should grow. And the process of sanctification is kind of stalled out because there's some area of resistance that you need to release to God. And maybe right there where you are, you need to pray and ask God to put you back on the wheel and work that out to make you into a vessel that he can use. Maybe not the perfect vessel, but a vessel he can use. And some of you just kind of like to sit soaking sour. You don't really want to serve anywhere. You just kind of enjoy sitting. But as long as God gives you breath and energy and vitality, you ought to find some way to serve him. And so maybe today is a commitment for you. Lord, I'm, I'm available to serve you. I'm going to pray. They're going to sing. We're going to stand as soon as I'm through praying, and you step out and you come. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to save the lost, to sanctify the saved, and to put the saved into service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. You come as they sing.